do sit down. We're just about to have some tea. Ladies and gentlemen, please do not panic, but scream. Scream for your lives. Hey weirdos, the kettle's boiled. Welcome to Tea for Terror, where we take a favourite horror film and dissect it over a nice cup of tea. I'm your host, Andrew Graves, and my guest today insists that God will forgive him and allow him into heaven, but I can't live with that. Welcome, John Towson. Oh, thank you very much. I don't think I ever said such a thing, and I have no such expectations either but i must say it's really nice to meet you this is the first time uh, that, that we've met but but um uh i've been looking forward to this for a long time because we shared so many pages of magazines together and sort of dvd booklets and obviously um sort of our backgrounds are very similar i think sort of nottingham tykes so uh it's lovely to be um uh appearing on your show so thank you very much for uh replying to me i i um got in touch with andrew and suggested uh that i come on to talk about shane meadows because i thought there'd be a lot in common there yeah no it's good to get you on and uh yeah yeah likewise it's uh you know like i said we, we we kind of shared a lot of the same pages of different magazines and things like that and uh and various blu-ray um boutique blu-ray uh releases uh which is nice um yeah so uh what have you been up to well uh i don't know if you've seen i've just put out a new book on cult cinema called 40 cult movies yeah uh, I did, and i've yeah. just been i've been pimping that to death you know, on Twitter and so on, uh, because it's a, a self-published book. It's my first self-published book. So I thought I'd do it as a little bit of an experiment to to see what the interest would be in it. And so far, it's uh, been been good. So, uh, yeah, it's been taking up a lot of time. So uh, it's called 40 Cult Movies. 40 Cult Movies. So it's, yeah, it's uh, essays on 40 cult movies. The beautiful yeah. cover by Graham Humphreys. Yeah, lovely. It, it was a, a dream come true, really, to get Graham to do that cover, because uh, you know nobody says cult movies like Graham's paintings. So it was a wonderfully uh, uh, a wonderful opportunity to get such an iconic painter to contribute something. Yeah, yeah, he, he was my guest on episode two as well. Uh, yeah, he's an interesting chap, Graham. He's always gallivanting here, there and everywhere. And uh, yeah, like you said, he he has kind of become, I think, you know, even though obviously he started off, you know, back in the 80s and he did those brilliant sort of that, that, that fantastic uh, British um, run of uh, Evil Dead promotion stuff and all that. It, it's brilliant. Um, but I think, you know, more recently he has become that he is, you know, the the visual signifier of kind of boutique horror, isn't he? You know, he's, he's kind mm -hmm. of just there. I mean, Arrow obviously does a lot of stuff at Arrow and, and other organisations as well. But, you know, if you've seen those those beautiful new versions of classic horror films, that's, you know, and then you're wondering who that is. It's probably Graham Humphreys. Mm. <laughs> so yeah, uh, what kind of stuff 
uh, are you covering in the book then? Well, there's uh, uh, you know, uh, it's the diverse range really from the, the better well, the better known titles. Alice, sweet Alice is in there. Uh, there's Toto the Hero, and there's a couple of Romero movies, Dawn of the Dead, uh, D Day of the Dead, uh, and so you know, some pretty obscure stuff like the um, Redeemer, Son of Satan, which is I think my favorite. Uh, there's that sort of Roger Corman mashup movie in the aftermath. So it's a, a disparate bunch. Yeah, I, I, it's weird actually, because because you know, talking of the the sort of courses I do at the Broadway, um, I'm going to be doing another another course in January, which is more about Hollywood and um, the mob and 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 crime. But actually, the one I've got proposed after that is is called. Um, uh, I think I can't remember what the title. I think the title is, uh, if I remember correctly, um, I I'm I was a teenage uh, zombie from Mars, uh, something like that. And and it's basically <laughs> it is a it is a kind of um, I, say, I was a teenage surfer zombie from Mars. That's it. <laughs> and, and it's kind of like a beginner's guide to cult cinema. So whereas you've done forty because of the way the courses work at a Broadway, you usually only get to do like three films per um, class. Yeah, I'm trying to work out how I can cram, um, you know, a hundred years of cult cinema into thirty films. Really, so yeah, that's an, yeah, there's going to be some interesting choices there. I think because mm. I think it's because you want to, you really want to touch upon. You, you know, you can't really do. I mean, I'm kind of basing it, I guess on um you know the, the brilliant series channel four series from the late 80s early 90s the jonathan ross uh incredibly strange yeah. film show uh that was kind of like my bible at the time i loved that and, and yes I think, mine you know, too yeah and i in think fact, lot... i mentioned that i mentioned that in the inter introduction to the book you know yeah i've got, I've what, got what is book. the attraction of these films you know the films that jonathan ross once described as very strange or incredibly strange it's, and it's, he put he put out a couple of books as well, didn't he? A tie-in. Yeah, I, I, I've got I've got the got first them, one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, which is, it it's really odd because I mean, this is what people forget. Jonathan Ross is such a media whore now. He's kind of who he is, and he's kind of the friendly face of ITV and all that. But it's really, you know, people growing up in my you know sort of our sort of age bracket he will he really was that beacon i mean i remember channel four i mean people always talk about channel four in the early days it being groundbreaking and all that i don't think it really hit its stride till sort of the late 80s that's when i really started paying attention you, because they had things like the incredibly strange film show and you had jonathan ross's chat show called the last resort which was mm. it wasn't about the normal you know the kind of chat shows he does now it's all very hollywood and sort of mainstream but then you know he was having people on like john lydon from pill and and all these kind of weird authors and people like that on it was really interesting and then you got like incredibly strange film show but then other people like you had simon drake doing the secret cabaret all of this brilliant stuff and and i remember uh around 86 as well channel 4 did whole season of uh, double bills you know horror classic horror double bills and they started right mm -hmm. from sort of 
you know they did all the kind of universal stuff so to me and, and i remember them repeating twilight zone and things like that so channel four was just like an incredible at that point you know from the sort of mid 80s to the sort of early 90s it was just a brilliant little um place where you could go and find all this absolutely brilliant you know in, in pre sort of dvd pre-streaming all of this brilliant stuff whether it was brand new or they were repeating older stuff you know like twilight zone and, and out limits and all that kind of stuff it was amazing it was amazing mm. I, I loved it then well i think at the time they really did sort of live up to that sort of alternative broadcasting remit that they sort of came in on but i, I mean i do remember the incredibly strange film show and it was and it was quite a lavish production i mean um jonathan ross when i remember in particular the one that he did on uh george romero and i think he did one on sam raimi as well and you know he was traveling off to pittsburgh and meeting tom savini and walking around with george romero and going to the, visiting the locations of the film so there was money being spent on the program uh you know they didn't skimp on the details of it and I think Ross was such a he was such a good ambassador at the time for cult movies because of his enthusiasm for them. You know, there was a genuine enthusiasm that came across uh, in the show and in the books as well. Uh, and I think that really uh, that really is kind of what sparked it for me, you know, uh, was was his enthusiasm for it. And also at the time, I suppose there was the sort of Danny Peary books that came out in the 80s. <laughs> cult movies and and he was you know one of one of the few authors who was actually sort of talking about the movies there was also midnight movies i think jonathan hoberman i think i can't i can't remember the, the name of the author but yeah so it was it was kind of like i suppose a burgeoning field at the time but yeah. Uh, yeah i do remember i do remember those all of those shows that you talked about with, with those sort of alternative remits so late night sort of channel four on a friday was the place to go sort of after the pub wasn't it or with a, a few beers yeah and i think you know past sort of by the time you got to into sort of the late and well sort of 93 94 it started to change and it got a bit you know it got a bit sort of drunk tv didn't it and it was the cut you know the word and all that which which had its kind of moments yeah. but it yeah. was you know but it, it wasn't that classic you know things like like I said, some stuff like Secret Cabaret. I mean, who, who, where else would that crop up at any other time in history or any, in any of the, it's just, just amazing. I loved it. Mm. And of course, you know, other things as well, like, um, you know, Vic, Vic Reeves' Big Night Out, you know, people, yeah, yeah. You know, Great you, fun. You know Vic and Bob are very, you know, Bob obviously with his fishing programs and that is very much a mainstream figure now, but people forget yeah. just how fucking subversive and weird yeah that i fucking well bo selector that. as well bo selector yeah 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 mm. yeah i mean i know but people... just great fun too wasn't it the, the yeah. programming was fun as well yeah. was i think people have slagged off channel four particularly more recently and, and i think it's had its quick but i i just think you know yeah, of course it's had crap stuff on but I, it uh, for me in that period which I'm talking about specifically, just incredible, just really, really mm -hmm. a massive, like, uh, you know, as you know, that and, and, you know, as we've talked about before on this program, things like on BBC two, you know, movie Drome and all that, that we forget, we really do. Forget. Yeah, yeah. We were spoiled mm. in some ways. We were yeah, very yeah. spoiled. Oh yeah. I remember the Alex Cox uh, 
programs. It was really that that was a, another big one, wasn't it? That kind of introduced a lot of people to those movies. Yeah. I suppose it was sort of like the time of the big of Big Brother and if Endemol and those and those people kind of coming in in the nineties that sort of started, Channel Four started to move more into the sort of mainstream, uh, the sort of. Uh, kind of popularity yeah but even something like big brother i mean if you look at the first series of big brother it genuinely was kind of experimental you know it mm. was obviously yeah. but the moment it became big ratings you mm -hmm. just knew from the second series onwards it was going to be fully self-aware and you know people candidates weren't coming on as that in that kind of feel of this is a television experiment they were coming on with agents you know and it, it just you know that's the moment that's when it it dies really i'm not saying it can't be entertaining but yeah it, it it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a weird one um so john when um what was your entry point into horror then i mean what where we've touched upon a few things there but in terms of how you started to make a connection with horror well, I mean, you put it so well in your book, Welcome to the Cheap Seats, about television becoming almost a kind of surrogate parent for, you know, those of us growing up in the 70s and 80s into sort of working class families and so on. Parents were away working. In my case, uh, my mum and dad, uh, they were publicans, so uh, we lived up stairs above the pub and they were downstairs and I was kind of on my own with the television a lot of the time in the evenings just kind of watching whatever I wanted and that, you know th at that time it was horror was just in the in the firmament really I mean it was everywhere it was on children's television with children of the stones and programs like that it was even in the sort of public information films with spirit of dark and lonely water <clears throat> and you know it was a time of the exorcist coming out and it was, just seemed to be that everywhere you looked there was horror and if you were you know a kid who was kind of into films or into comics or whatever as i was then it, it came on your radar pretty quickly uh so really i just kind of started i, I didn't really get a chance to watch much uh, maybe some of the later double bills when I got a little bit older, the sort of BBC double bills. But I used to collect comics and I used to collect uh, film comics and film books uh, and read about really these horror movies. And that and that really kind of sparked my interest and whet my appetite for them and uh, eventually got to see them really in the age of VCR. Uh, and I remember probably around about 1982 kind of getting our first VCR and used to rent them then. So the guy used to come, came around with radio from radio rentals and he brought two movies and the one movie was scanners, two free movies for us to watch. One was scanners. And I think the other one was zombie flesh eaters. <laughs> so it's, he was kind of some, something like a somewhere between an angel and a devil sort of delivering these things into my lap really as a, as a very young teenager i was about you know, 12 12 or something i think everybody ended up with whether you wanted it or not you ended up with um a copy of scanners <laughs> it just yeah, the old, just appeared the guild, the guild home video copy do you remember that one yeah 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 <laughs> yeah yeah 
Scars is a great you know, movie. I love that. Well, yeah, you know, you watch it and then you rewind the tape and you watch it again straight away, you know, because this stuff was very kind of much forbidden in a way to us. You didn't really, you know, we didn't even have a cinema in the town I grew up in, uh, which was Grantham. Just there. my family's from Nottingham, generations of uh, from Nottingham, but we moved to Grantham when I was very young. No cinema. Um, the, the days before VCR, long before the internet, uh, three channels on the TV. Just, you know, not if you're into horror or into movies, there's not very, not very many opportunities. So, of course, when VCR came out, the pre-cert days, I was just completely hooked and just rented everything and anything. You know. Yeah, yeah. I mean. Yeah, we, we we spoke we spoke about it a lot on this, but yeah, it is that. Um, I guess these films, you know, I I I spoke about this actually. Um, I've got another book coming out next year, which is. Um, it started off being about um, Ben Wheatley's A Field in England, but mm. it really grew into something bigger than that, and it it's kind of it, that is the basis of the book, but it's it's really about looking at England and horror and magic and history and really all of this stuff kind of bouncing around. And, uh, yeah, but I think, you know, um, like you said, at a certain point, particularly in the seventies and to a certain, to a, to a degree in the eighties, but seven, definitely in the seventies, it was, I mean, thankfully looking back, but yeah, um, I think there was, there seemed to be a feeling that some they were out to traumatize us <laughs> as children, you know, because you couldn't, yeah. you literally couldn't get away from it. You know, like you said, it was public information films. It was within inherent within. I mean, children's a lot of children's television at that point, and I'm not not talking about stuff that that was on for adults and kids just watched. I mean, it was actually programmed as children's television. It was terrifying, mm. you know. Yeah. You know, some of those episodes of Doctor Who were amazing but just terrifying and, and you know children mm. of the stones all that kind of, i mean one of the, the one of the, the pro one of, one of my literally one of my earliest memories and earliest kind of nightmare inspiring um visual uh tv shows was um sky i don't know if you remember sky absolutely yeah, yeah. I, mean, I mean you know i, I remember the uh, opening episode yeah yeah that's that's you know, it the, the, and i remember screaming to my mum to turn it off because <laughs> i was so scared of it i don't so think I, I don't think i ever got past the first episode no i remember <laughs> that, that being the first thing i remember connecting right here's this thing television and this is gonna affect the way i sleep or not sleep at that it, it I re, yeah i remember vividly that that first episode and it absolutely freaked me out of course i love well, it, it now it of course, but well, even the thought of the stuff was terrifying. I mean, you know, it was years until I saw The Exorcist, but I remember my friends telling me about it. I must have been about five years old, six years old, but the thought of it was terrifying enough. And it was actually very, very traumatizing to the point that I think when I got to be about seven or eight years old, and I, and I, do you have this thing, extraordinary sort of fascination but repulsion with horror as a child is that you, is that in a way you use it 
to, I think to try and deal with some of the traumas of your own life and the traumas around you and you're kind of attracted to it in that way but at the same time it, it can traumatize you uh, and the exorcist was one of those that long before I ever saw it I actually was traumatized to the extent that I think as a child I actually had a bit of a nervous breakdown over it uh, sleepless nights wetting the bed all linked into the thought of this film and the thought of what might happen to me the possibility of happen what happens in the film uh, happening to me as a child the way you do in that sort of magical thinking that you have as a child so horror the relationship i'm sure you feel the same way the relationship that i have with the horror genre is very much a love hate one uh, because of what i went through as a child and i think this does link in to shane meadows as well in, in terms of what we're going to talk about dead man's shoes that um it's really interesting you say that um about the exorcist now I, i've got a similar experience now i didn't see it till i was i was i wasn't I, I, I was 17 when i when i first saw it um and I, but the first time i ever saw the exorcist was that was at the cinema now where i lived so I, I'm in Nottingham now, but I, I lived in sort of Woodhouse and sort of in Ashfield and and, mm. and and at the time I was living around Mansfield. And on a Sunday in Mansfield, they had you had the ABC cinema in, in, in uh, Mansfield and every Sunday they'd show horror double bills. Um and then one one Sunday they were showing uh I'm I'm sure it was the Evil Dead and Exorcist. Uh, and I'd kind of I I knew about The Exorcist, but I didn't really have I wasn't expecting it to be the way it was. I just I just thought it was just another, you know, throwaway horror film. So I went to see the obviously I'd seen The Evil Dead before, but then I went to see The Evil Dead and The Exorcist, first time I'd ever seen The Exorcist on the big screen. Now, the kind of background to this is that I I was um getting all sort of uh, therapeutic now but now I, mm. I was on the cusp i think of coming to terms with or not not coming to terms with the fact that i was because I, I i i was really tying into the fact that you said you had like a mini sort of nervous breakdown i i think i did too and mm. i because I, I it was the first time i'd ever really I, I've suffered with mental health problems all my life, you know, mm. um, and I think that was the first time I'd ever really understood it as mental health issues. Um, and I'm not, I'm not blaming the exorcist. I'm not, I'm not that stupid, but I, I, I do. I think I probably saw it for the first time at the wrong time and mm. it didn't help. And, and I think I attributed I started to attribute because I was not in a good place and it wasn't that, you know, this is back in the eighties, the thought of a 17 year old kid going to the doctors and saying, I'm having problems. Could you help me? It just, what it what wouldn't have come on my radar. So I kind of coped with this for a long time on my own. And I think, you know, because you're not um, necessarily of sound mind, you know, you start to attribute things like the exorcist. So yeah, that film, absolutely freaked me out for a lot of different reasons for a long time now i absolutely love it now it's one of my favorite films i i think it's brilliant and i think it's an incredibly powerful film even now um and i love it so much so right um 
even when and and one of the things i don't like is that they tend to show this obviously at halloween and obviously it's just had the 50th anniversary so it's been i don't like going to the cinema around halloween to see horror films because it's full of amateurs <laughs> <laughs> and i think you Hall need to halloween learn... is every day for us yeah <laughs> and you need to learn to behave when you're watching horror films yeah, yeah. Now, if i have mm -hmm. to listen to an amateur laughing at the exorcist again i will go nuts but yeah for a long time particularly in my teens and early 20s that film really affected me deeply uh, but I think it was obviously to do with other things, other aspects that were going on in my life. So, yeah, but I can't, I still, every time I see it, I love it. And I've got, kind of got over a lot of that. But it's it still, there is that connection there. And it mm. is a powerful film, you know, whether you... Uh, I, I think it I think it keys into a lot of people's traumas. And I think that's one of the reasons why it's been such a... Such a monumental film over the years and so and it probably goes to explain why some of the kind of hysteria that greeted it when it came out um, because you know it, it it keys into very, very sort of childhood traumas of persecution being persecuted by some sort of evil outside force you know uh, you know being bullied in effect being abused you know um and it also keys into the the idea that you might lose the love of your parents if you're naughty you know as uh reagan in the film film she sort of kind of loses uh the love of her, of her mother you know that fear of being abandoned i think it's so it, there are two very key sort of fears in that film that the the, the movie plays on the fear of loss really uh, and it, 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 you know, it, it keys into the into it as a child, but those are fears that we'd never really let go of. You know, it's the basis of so so many, so many sort of anxiety neuroses into adulthood. Um, that I don't think if anyone suffers from those kind of, I don't know, uh, I suppose you'd call them weaknesses within yourself uh, as i have then you, you're kind of susceptible to it i mean it's still as a film it still kind of scares me now you know i still have those moments you know sometimes late at night if i'm on my own uh, and i start thinking about some of the images in the film it still has that effect on me that, that you know it takes me back right back to that sort of childhood trauma uh, and I don't know why, really, because, you know, when you get older, you can rationalize things away. You can understand them and kind of gain control over over your fears uh, in that way. But it I mean, it still does hold a sort of frisson for me in that in that sense. But everybody talks about, you know, a lot of people talk about the kind of the extremes of the exorcist, you know, the. You know the the masturbation scene and all this and the, the 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 sort of levitation and all that. But for me, that I mean that's fine. I'm I'm no problem with that. But it's um, it's the quieter moments. They're the most terrifying. They're, they're mm. the one of the most frightening or disturbing moments in the entire film is when you get the two exorcists and they they've been in there for the first time and they come out. And these are experienced men, but they are just broken and they just, they don't say anything. 
they just sit on the steps and it's just like and it's almost you know the, the subtext is what the fuck are we doing here how are we going to sort this <laughs> yeah. out and yeah, it's yeah. brilliant it's it's just a, such a powerful moment it's brilliant uh, you know Friedkin whatever you think about Friedkin bless him um it's just an incredible I, I know he tortured his actors and everybody on set and i know that it's very questionable of how he put this together but you know the finished thing is it is a fucking masterpiece it is brilliant there's always i've always found there's something harsh about freaking a, a sort of a willingness not to flinch you know and and it's there in I guess the documentary realism of his other films, it's in there in the French connection. It's it's definitely there in cruising. He's a hard bastard. He was a hard <laughs> bastard. And and it took that though to make the exorcist, didn't it? I mean, it was it could easily have turned into a big joke. Yeah. But this was I... a this was a guy who was willing to really approach it in a very cold, matter-of-fact way, you know. A very harsh way in in i think and uh, and i think that's one of the reasons why the film works as well as it does you know i think he was um he's a really interesting director and i think you know as a mm. questionable human being possibly you know and i've heard lots of interviews with him and i i think as much as there is that bluster and as much as there is that kind of you know, the way he was and the way he kind of uh, disregarded other people and could be quite rude or whatever. And certainly his politics were very questionable, I think. Mm. Uh, um, but um, he also, he wasn't prepared to have people blow smoke up his ass either. You know, he didn't he mm. didn't stand for it. I remember one of the last interviews I heard, he was on um, um, the movies uh, that made me, which is like Joe jo Dante's podcast. And, you know, and yeah. I think at first when they introduce him, he's kind of like, you know, they're trying to, and he's like, no, I don't want any of that. I don't want any, don't, don't, don't fucking try and, you know, paint me as this. I'm just, just this. And he, he was quite straightforward and down to earth in that way. Mm. So I kind of liked him, but yeah, you can't, you can't question his work. You know, it's just fucking great. You know, he's great, great filmmaker. Mm. Anyway, we're not here to talk about William Friedkin. No. <laughs> we are here. Yeah, to the talk. exorcist takes us over. Yeah, we are possesses us. We are going to uh yeah, we're going to introduce the film. Uh so the film we're going to look at today is Dead Man's Shoes from 2003 as directed by Shane Meadows. You get to me first. He ain't going away, fellas. He's got to get it done. God will forgive them. He'll forgive them and allow them into heaven. I can't live with that. Yeah, John, uh, when did you first come across this film? Well, I mean, Shane Meadows kind of came onto my radar fairly early on because, again, a lot of kind of shared background. Um, because in the 80s, I was actually got involved with um with film production in nottingham and there was a place called the new cinema workshop uh, on mansfield road which i think eventually amalgamated with intermedia uh and so i was kind of making my own little 16 millimeter films and and kind of later on i heard that there was this guy 
but this was a few years afterwards called Shane Meadows who was it kind of was shooting little videos and stuff and uh, eventually kind of worked his way up to doing 24/7 and you know just just know, finding out a bit more about him I, did, I, did, I, I kind of wasn't as kind of interested so much in those early films and uh and room for romeo brass did they, they didn't really sort of grab me but when i saw dead man's shoes that was that was a movie that sort of really got me interested in shane meadows as a as a sort of a director in terms of the themes that he was exploring and the way he was sort of bringing out some of this kind of experience that i suppose if you could you will recognize it and you write about it very eloquently in your book. So I know that you feel very much kind of this idea of what it's like to grow up in, in an environment in the Midlands, in the working class environment, being a teenager and having to deal with bullying, maybe having to deal with abuse um, or at least witnessing it, witnessing other people uh, dealing with it. Uh, and the drug problem of small towns and so on and so forth. So uh, when I saw Dead Man's Shoes, I thought it was almost like a genre movie that he was kind of taking the tropes of a, the classic exploitation movie, the sort of revenge tropes. But he was bringing into it his own experience and then the experience of... Uh, the, 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 I think I could recognise, I'm sure you could recognise, and, and doing it very well. And so that movie really kind of... Um, it kind of touched me in a way that I thought, yeah, this I kind of understand where he's coming from, you know. And that sort of really keyed me into Shane Meadows. And then I didn't like Once Upon a Time in the Midlands much. I thought it was a bit spoofy. I don't think he likes it that much. But then when this, yeah, when This Is England came out, I thought this is a masterpiece, you know. And, you know, we've been there. I'm sure you've been there in terms of, uh, the kind of thing you get up to as a kid, young kid, in in uh, in the early eighties, uh, and yeah, from that point I was completely hooked. Yeah, so when uh, This Is England came out, I think I just could kind of relate to the experiences that he was sort of relaying, uh, and and that goes back to um, Dead Man's Shoes as well, just kind of being able to see. Uh, you know the the kind of experiences that that I had sort of growing up in a small town sort of environment, uh, and those some of the things that he was talking about in the film. Yeah, I, I think this is England. Um, yeah, it's great. I think um, I'm not. I, I to be honest, to be fair, I mean, I've interviewed Shane Meadows, and he's a really mm. great. He's a lovely guy. Uh, and I've interviewed Paddy Considine as well. Obviously, they, they're both connected with the film we're talking about. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that... Um, but but, in, but I'll get back to that. But um, in terms of This Is England, I think, yeah, it is what I liked about This Is England were, was the fact that Sean, the main character, was exactly the same age I was at the time when the film was set. So the first film is set in 83, so he's 13 and I was 13. And then um, what I liked is that when they did the TV show, the first TV show, obviously the first TV show is 86 and it's Sean leaving school when he's 16 as I was leaving school. And the, one of the very first shots is they show him doing a CSE 
um uh history test and that was the history test that i took you know <laughs> so it's like and I, yeah. I failed as well you know so uh i i i really liked that 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 sort of um that little franchise he built with the film and the the the, the series i mean i feel i think to be fair i think the film is much more successful than the tv shows i think there's some great stuff in the tv shows but i i think there's a lot of stuff that's maybe not so great uh in the tv shows as well um uh, but mm. yeah uh but this is england the film i think yeah is is fantastic and i think it still mm. holds up and i think it's really really it's it's just a great i you know i think uh, stephen graham in that is just incredible uh, just really it's it's just a, such a nuanced performance and it's not mm. it's not your kind of typical he's a skinhead and he's evil it's just it's it's way more gray than that and it's uh, and and it's much more grim than we can possibly imagine we get hints mm. of it but we never get the full backstory but we understand just how grim that situation must have been for him mm. uh, yeah it, it's great you know, I, I think a lot of this does kind of go back to some of the, the things we were talking about earlier about the kind of 70s childhood experience and getting into horror and, and things just kind of being a bit more of a harsher time then, you know. And, you know, certainly parenting was very, very different <laughs> in the 70s and 80s. I mean, now, of course, you have the phenomenon of the sort of helicopter parent where, you know, the kids they pretty much have all their leisure activities sort of defined for them or organized for them, you know. But, you know, when I was growing up in the 70s and, and a lot of people I've spoke to have the same kind of experience. And, and I'm sure you probably have the same experiences that we just left to our own devices, you know, after school and at weekends. We were literally out the front. We were latchkey kids, really. And the parents didn't have a clue where we were or what we were doing half the time. Uh, and I think that's a lot of the reason why they had these public information films in the 70s is just because, well, the government was aware that there were these kids just roaming the streets. And I was one of them, you know, gay, getting into all sorts of trouble. And, 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 and these films took on the role of parents. So it was kind of don't play in farms don't play don't play on uh, electricity pylons <laughs> and, and and i think a lot of it stems to that but coming back directly to shane meadows is that when you had that experience as a kid and you kind of getting involved with gangs or you getting involved with older boys uh, and some of the people that you encountered because you'd roam around you'd have your group of friends but you'd, you'd meet new kids as well and some of them were quite troubled you know, and I think there was, and there was always the the threat of bullying. There was the threat of abuse, and as I said before I've kind of known, the, you know, that sort of thing happening. What's happened to Shane Meadows that he's kind of said talked about happened to him. The sort of sexual abuse uh, episode that's happened to him. I've known that happened to other kids. I think it's probably happened to a lot of kids. So again, it's that shared experience, but it comes down to this idea of what childhood was like in those days in the 70s and i think that's really what comes out in this is england is is this kind of thing is the absence of that kind of controlled parenting that we have now as the kids kind of did did their own thing and and had to negotiate some of the real tough terrain of you know working class life uh as as a child you know when, when things were a lot 
it could you know turn quite brutal you know i was lucky because i had long legs and i used to run you know and i would just develop this kind of sensor for trouble you know and i knew to stay away from the kids who could be trouble but often people didn't do that and they got involved in all sorts of things uh, and you know a lot of the kids that i knew they ended up going to special schools and borstals and and all of the rest of it so when you when you kind of see the relationship between sean and combo in this is england you really recognize some of those things and, and some of it is so specific i mean i knew used to you know i remember the national front at times and the combat 88 times you know and these lads used to go around and they used to enlist you you know and if you were like me a sort of lad who was looking for a, an older brother type figure they would take you under their wing and one such lad it wasn't anything like as kind of organizers combo but i remember going around and this is kind of shameful really but going around with him and, and he's kind of spouting all of this national front stuff and i'm kind of listening to it kind of not really believing it but just glad to have like this older brother char character who sort of seemed to have taken an interest in me so and i'm sure that happened to a lot of kids mm. uh but shane meadows has just managed to express it so incredibly well but also what goes through all of his films from romeo brass is this idea of that there are people who are very troubled you know and, and sometimes you can't you don't recognize them immediately it's only when you kind of get drawn in to, uh, to a friendship with them that you realize that these people are, are potentially violent potentially dangerous and that violence can just sort of erupt out of no nowhere you know i mean i just remember that happening to me saying the wrong thing and suddenly somebody turning on me and you think where the where did this come from and you realize this person is dangerous potentially dangerous um yeah well i think you know think it, it just captures that that feeling of what it was like to be in that situation so incredibly well because i think it happened to him and maybe at the time he didn't realize that this was what he was talking about through his films so it kind of comes through in a sort of codified way in some ways you know and i think dead man's shoes is very much like that it is a kind of it's about those things but it's in a form of a sort of a uh i don't know a sort of genre movie horror movie well, you, 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 you'd had 24 7 and i think you know yeah obviously room for romeo brass and both of those looked at these kind of bizarre or troubled relationships and, and looked at this this idea of this erupting into violence and and mm. uh, abuse uh, you know abusive relationships so in in room for emir brass obviously paddy considine plays someone a character that, that is uh, in one sense laughable but very you know uh, when placed mm. into the context of a childhood relationship is very dangerous um and then in 24 7 you'd had the kind of domestic abuse violence storyline and uh and then obviously in, in this is england you've got this eruption of violence towards the end but i think with dead man's shoes it's it it was a kind of departure and i think it was um it is a very shane meadows film absolutely but it is a kind of very unshane meadows film as well um and i think that it has 
he, and I think he does things that are very clever. It is because, like I said, I interviewed Shane Meadows a few weeks back, and um, because we were screening the twentieth anniversary, yeah, it's twentieth anniversary mm. of this film, and and it it still feels fucking strange that it's twenty years old. Mm. Um, but it, yeah, and I, what the first question, you know, the first thing I asked him was whether he, um, it's kind of like whether whether he was aware. Of kind of genre cinema, whether he was aware of how much this this would be um, adapted by sort of cult horror fans, because it didn't, it did, it bombed at the box office, it didn't do very well, mm. and it sort of picked no. up this this cult following later on, sort of DVD and whatever. Um, but I I think you know horror community really does embrace this film, and I think it, that's why it stands out. But I think it's it's interesting because it, it is. Uh, whether Shane Meadows wanted it to be or not, it is a kind of horror film, but it it takes that idea of the serial killer and rather than being in the sort of overly lit streets of New York or whatever, it just places it into that those council house settings or that 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 sort of shitty little enclave of working class culture or whatever, you know, um, pit towns or um, mm. pit district. Uh, and 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 by doing you know similar to the sort of aesthetic of something like Ben Wheatley when you you with sightseers where, where you've got these two serial killers who are on holiday caravanning you know and it just it is comical in some ways but it also mm. creates this 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 edge that you're not expecting because mm. I think the gang in this is England is really interesting you know you've got. Um, uh, um, oh, what's his name? Uh, what's the name of the, the boxer guy? In it? Gary Stretch, Gary Stretch, who plays yeah. Sonny, who kind of leads the little gang. And they are, from our point of view, I, that is very recognisable to me. Like you were saying about This Is England, that idea of the small-time hoodlums, who basically they are in charge, but what they're in charge of is an absolute fucking shithole. And it's mm. this, you know, and the fact that they drive around in this knackered old Citroen, you know, and it's just, it's, it, they are kind of laughable, but incredibly dangerous as well. You know, it's, it's this idea of, you know, I, cause I, you know, having never been sort of part of a, you know, a, a criminal elements myself, but I always kind of, but I've, I've, I've been in, I've grown up in environments where that was on the edges of it all the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, it was always to me, well, you're breaking the law, and 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 I can get, I can get why people want more money and stuff, but um, but it never, it never seemed to me that these these people had anything worthwhile. You know, you're you're risking going to jail for stuff that was a bit shit. You know? yeah. <laughs> so I never really got it, and I think well, the, been... well, these guys are not the main guys, are they? No, I think, no, no, no. I mean, I, I just think that. Actually, this is an, another. You say it's twenty years old, but actually, this is where the the film is quite prescient. I think in in the its portrayal of the small town drug gang, you know, and I th and of course, this is a problem. If if anything has got worse for small towns in England, is that you do get the county lines thing where you've got the drugs coming in from the cities, you know, so. You know, you've got drugs coming in from Derby and Nottingham going into these small towns, Matlock and Hena and all of those kind of towns, you know, Derbyshire towns. And and uh, and uh, they may may 
you know they take the form of the drug gangs but they also take the form of the sort of the, of, of money laundering in things like the car washes and the nail bars and so on and it's literally in this country in some areas it's becoming so upfront it's almost like breaking bad you know in the sense that these people are doing it on our high street so why shouldn't we be doing it you know there's that kind of sense there with with the with the gangs um and but, but coming back to what you were saying about this is england the tv the tv show i get what i, I agree with you that it it, it was it didn't have the sort of tightness or the focus of the film but what was good about it was the Vicky McClure character yeah, and it's yeah. kind of what happened to her uh, and it comes back to that kind of abuse thing uh, that, that Shane Meadows is kind of obsessively kind of exploring in his films I think, um, I think this is the thing see I, I I'm you know this is like sacrilege and I'm not supposed to say this and I, I did kind of interview Vicky McClure sort of via mm. email and stuff. But I um I'm not a massive fan. I don't think she's great. Mm. I think she's brilliant at, at, at Laws. I think she's yeah, fantastic yeah. at that role. I don't think she's great in other stuff. I, I don't know whether it's because she's miscast or I don't know, but I don't Well, it's just kind of going on to what I was about to say there, that what 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 what's kind of lacking from that that's that makes some of the other characters um uh, more real in a way and especially those small the small town uh drug dealers of dead man's shoes is that humor is that humor there's almost a kind of grotesque humor thing going on there that shane meadows does extremely well and you say as you say it gives it a real edge i mean one of the the best sequences in dead man's shoes for me is is when Gary Stretch answers the door and his <laughs> face has been all painted up as a clown. I mean, it's such a funny but grotesquely funny moment. And what's so real, but it's real, very real. And the and the reactions of the guy to him is absolutely, they're absolutely spot on. You know, there is no reaction. They're just kind of looking at him going, what the fuck is well, going you, on you, here? I mean, you could see you from know? a script point of view, that might be a kind of, almost like a throwaway gag but it's really but it's, it's so really real. clear it's, it's really so real. you know it's really sort of illustrating that you know these he sonny thinks he's scarface but he's just a fucking joke that's that's yeah. the, that's the thing he's just a small fish <clears throat> yeah you know he's not the mr big he's a guy he's a guy who is probably getting the consignments in from somebody who is big in the city and he's set himself up as this big fish in a small pond drug dealer but he's really just a middleman isn't it you know so it's the kind of pretense as you say of the characters but i think what makes it so good with that gang is the casting and i'm pretty sure that part of shane meadows process is that he casts actors who really understand that world you know they might not come from that world but they will have some sort of experience of it and i actually know well i did know the guy who plays tough the guy who play who drives the two cvs paul sado he grew he uh, grew up in grantham in the town i grew up in and i was in a couple of plays with him when we were sort of about 16 and 17 and uh what i remember about him is is his sense of humor he just had this really kind of dark sense of humor really um he really understood the kind of the ironies of life, 
you know so i can imagine that part of the casting process is is that you get these people who have share that kind of sense of humor and share that kind of understanding of those kind of environments and paul would have understood small town life in the midlands because he would have grown up into it as well so i think you know they bring this thing to it that they literally if they're not those characters and i think some aspects of that character is paul but they recognize these people they would have you know seen them on the periphery uh as we have uh and and i think that's why they're able to make it so real you know and some of the little conversations they have at the beginning whether they're kind of reading through porno mags you know some of the throwaway comments is kind of like i can hear my brother and his mates when i was a kid kind of listening to some of the things they would say um that's kind of the genius of shane meadows i think you see he let some these... filmmakers are just brilliant at portraying people in their natural habitats aren't they and he's one of those he uh you know he said that he was very inspired by Scorsese and Mean Streets and how well Scorsese had uh, managed to kind of get give the feel, the smell of those kind of, that environment, you know. And I think Shane Meadows has that same quality as a filmmaker for me, that he really is able to do it so well because he's from there, you know. He's not a middle-class London filmmaker who's going up north to make a kitchen sink drama that is no personal experience of he's from there you know he's kind of died in the wool and i think that's what for me it kind of made me really get turned on to his films just thinking that this guy's a genuine article and people have described him as you know the best filmmaker of his generation and i think he is for those reasons for me anyway well I mean, if you know, if we go back specifically to Dead Man's Shoes, so we've got this. This is very much um, in the fold of. Uh, I mean, people often talk about British films and British horror and folk horror and things like that, but this is kind of a slightly different subgenre. This is what I would tend to call kitchen sink horror. You know, it's yeah. and, and you know, it's very much. It's, in a similar sense to say bull or kill list or even you know from america looking at something like martin you know martin is very much a working class blue collar sort of version of the vampire and i, I think it, it can really work i think if it's overdone it's it's not so great and if it's very you know very aware that it's trying to do that and not very successfully you've got to it's got to be done by filmmakers like you say like shane meadows who understand that background and understand those streets you can't just do council estate horror if you've never really understood what growing up mm. on a council estate is like and i you know see so the authenticity is there but i think at the absolute center of this you've got two incredible performances I mean, pretty much everybody in it is good, but it, the the two incredible performances are the two main characters of Anthony and Richard, played by um, Toby Cabell and Paddy Considine. Now uh, we'll come back to kind of Paddy Considine in a second, I think. But Toby Cabell. Now I don't know if you're aware when I when I was speaking to Shane Meadows, I was asking him about this because for me there's there's, there's massive parallels between this and uh, what's eating Gilbert Grape. 
in mm. terms of the UC in what seemed eating Gilbert Grape, you've got for most people that was the first time they'd ever come across um, DiCaprio in this incredible performance, uh, which, mm. which kind of leads you to believe when you first see um, what's eating Gilbert Grape. I mean, one of the first questions I had: Well, is this does this guy actually have learning difficulties? You didn't know, you know, because it was such a convincing performance. And I think the same can be said about Toby Cabalb. I think the the weird thing is, though, uh, this is what I was talking to Shane Meadows about, is that, that there was another guy lined up to do that role. And at the mm. last minute, he got, he kind of, he had um, second thoughts about portraying someone with learning difficulties and he didn't want to do it. And so really, Toby Cabell was kind of lined up in the background uh, and they were about, I think they, they, they were about, they were going to be filming the next day and Toby Cabell got the call and he kind of basically put that character together on the train over. Uh, mm. And Shane Meadows said, you know, he just got it straight away. It was like, it saved me so much work because he understood it and it is. I mean, I know Toby Cabell's gone on to do all the things and, you know, Hollywood and whatever, uh, Black Mirror and all that kind of stuff. But this is just amazing. It's just what a what a performance. What a fucking great performance. Mm. I, I mean, I've never, I've never thought about the, the links with Gilbert Grape, but that's very interesting you say that. I mean, it's the, the, partly the idea of this, the vulnerability of the character. Uh, and the way he's kind of exploited and abused because of his vulnerability, uh, but but the idea in Gilbert Grape that uh, Johnny Depp comes to realise his responsibility towards uh, towards this boy, and I guess in a way that's kind of carried through in uh, Dead Man's Shoes, which is sort of Paddy Considine's kind of over almost overwhelming sense of responsibility and even guilt, you know that uh, that he might he might have let his brother down by not being there you know which is a i think probably the thing that propels the performance but there's something also going on there which is this the idea of revenge isn't there which is kind of a slightly slightly more troubling kind of, the idea that that, that um I, I don't know i think you've inter interviewed shane meadows i've read in the past how partly the uh the film was inspired by him going back to Utoxeter and kind of seeing what had happened to the place, how it had become uh, very run down and kind of overtaken by these drug gangs, but also the memory of a, f a friend of his who, or somebody he'd known who'd got, who'd got involved with that world and it had sort of destroyed him and it had been just kind of discarded or forgotten by the town and this desire or feeling on Shane Meadows' part that there had to be some sort of justice exacted, you know, for what had been done to this boy, you know, uh, and and Dead Man's Shoes almost being kind of like a wish fulfillment fantasy, uh, uh, which again is is quite a troubling or problematic idea when you when you think about the sort of the, the death wish genre you know the idea that you go in and exact vengeance outside of the law on on uh people who are sort of wrongdoers and again it, it kind of gives the film a bit of a queasy feeling doesn't it because you think 
you can't really get on the side of Paddy Considine, Paddy Considine because of what he does. You know, he's really he is he becomes the monster as he as he comes to realise at the end of the film, which I think is the right ending for the film. Really, is that he kind of realises he's kind of gone too far, that it's not the right thing to do, it's not the way to solve the problem. Well, I think because it's such a we. <laughs> there's kind of like a few twists i think at the end you know you've you've got as you say paddy considine realizing that he's gone too far you've got the obviously the big reveal of anthony not being no longer with us and he and and you know whether we see this as a a semi-paranormal film or or or, Mm. or not or whether we just see it as literally as 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 um richard being haunted by by the, mm. the, the thought of his brother you know whether however we see that but also so that is a, a a great reveal but also it's the fact that you know he eliminates the people we've seen as being the antagonists um fairly well not fairly quickly but you know before the end of the film so we think well where 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 is this going to go and and, mm. and you know tragically he, he there's one more person and th- this person while Sonny and the gang have just ended up still stagnating and being yeah, yeah. terrible people, you've got a one guy who's kind of got away, improved his life, tried yeah, to transform, gr- and be a up. better person, yeah. And, yeah. And, and he still and can't father. escape. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's yeah. you know, uh, that that's that's an that's an interesting way to go. I think, and it's not where you're expecting it to go. So I think you've got this. This, you know, this this double whammy of a twist at the end, and also it works so well with what Considine does so well as an actor. As you say, is is it's almost that sort of Jekyll and Hyde aspect of his of the characterizations that he that he performs. And wasn't he in Tyrannosaur? Was it the film Tyrannosaur? Yeah, well, he he, he wrote that. So and, does, and right, directed. yeah, and he's doesn't he does he? I'm sorry, I. My memory's a bit vague on that film. Is he in that film, or does he just write it and direct it? Is no, he's it not Peter in it. Mu- no, Peter Mullen. Not, Peter Mullen, who's in it, yeah. Right, but yeah, right. there's but it's the same kind of character that person who is on the on the surface, you know, an affable character, but underneath, deep down, he's got this terrible anger, you know, or, or proclivity towards violence. And as, again, it's, it just seems to be something that Considine does extremely well. You know, he really manages to portray that kind of damaged individual. Yeah, he, he's good. Uh, he's a brilliant actor, and I think he's a good writer as well. And I think that, you know, something like Tyrannosaur was great. Um, uh, I, I interviewed him when he was doing the publicity rounds for Journeyman. And uh, mm. um, I think, yeah, and I know that that film didn't necessarily go down the way the way he wanted it to go down i don't think it was as successful as he wanted it and uh and he was he's a nice guy shane man uh, uh sorry paddy considine and i but i think it's um it yeah it was kind of weird um interview as well i mean i'd spoke to him before i didn't just do a cold interview i'd kind of been with the green room but he was kind of with his agent and i think his agent was a little bit sort of um in your face sort of thing and and mm. uh, and he he because he, uh, i obviously i was there to talk about journeyman and and 90 of the questions were about journeyman and i was going to ask him about room for romeo brass and um dead man's shoes and 
wouldn't want to, he didn't want to talk about them at all. He would not touch upon them. He would not be drawn on that at all. And I know, mm. I think, I think he did have a bit of a falling out with Shane Meadows. I don't know what the relationships now, but yeah. So mm. it's, a, it's a weird interview. Uh, but God, he's fucking incredible talent, you know. And I think, mm. um, you know, the 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 ser- the first series of House of Dragon is, um, I mean, wow, what a performance that is. You, I mean just this this idea of him being this king on this descent of him getting older and more decrepit and literally falling to pieces it's just yeah it's a great great um yeah he can absolutely pull it out of the bag when he wants to he's a great great actor i think and he, and he can work you know he can do those kind of shane meadows small productions or you kind of more hollywood style films i think he's mm. just he's just an absolute natural he's brilliant mm. he has a sort of quality Quiet menace, doesn't he? In in Dead Man's Shoes, is it? It's like with a, a smiler with a knife sort of character. Um, yeah, and I I think the way in which the character Richard, um, he is he is a great kind of serial killer. I mean, you know, you, you, your sympathies kind of are with him at the beginning, but as mm-hmm. he goes on, you know, he because he whatever we think about this gang, and they are horrible people but he kind of tortures them doesn't he i, I don't mm. I mean you know he starts off by taunting them and letting them know that he can come at them whenever he wants because he's he's in he's in charge as he famously says in the film to sonny you know i've got i've got you right there um mm. you know all of this kind of stuff but then you know actually dosing them with various forms of hallucinogens and then and then getting rid of them and, and showing them the dead body in the suitcase and all that. It's, it's grim. It's re- you know, uh, it, it's grimmer than a lot of, um, upfront horror films are, I think, you know, and it, because it's, yeah. it's got that edge to it because you're not expecting it because it's this small town situation. There's a kind of element of psychological torture going on. <laughs> that is, is, you don't often get that in horror films, but, um, Maybe th- does that key into what you were saying about uh, kitchen sink horror? Because you know, you know, this is the first time I've ever heard anybody use that phrase, and it's a sort of intriguing phrase of kitchen sink horror. But what what other examples would you give of kitchen sink horror? Well, like I said, I mean, I mentioned a few like Ball and uh, Kill List. Um, yeah, uh, you know, you kind of Ben Wheatley kind of stuff um uh you know things like martin from america as well i think i think it's just this idea of so so it's not you know i think you've got your classic kind of gothic haunted house type horror or Mm. your american suburban sort of slasher films and you know i'm generalizing here Mm. but i think there is a kind of enclave particularly when it comes to brit and I, i i would also kind of you know talked about this as well uh you know a lot of your amicus films i think you know they were very different to a lot of times they were very different to your hammer horror films hammer horror was obviously very technical and gothic but amicus brought in they ushered in a lot of the times they ushered in these kind of more kitchen sink elements or these kinds of you know uh, one of my favorite amicus anthologies is from beyond the grave and i love i love the fact that you've got a you've got Peter Cushing doing this kind of Yorkshire accent, and you've got um, the 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 section of the 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 the, the, the film the section where um, you've got um, Donald Pleasance and his daughter, and that's you know you've got Diana Dawes as this horrible sort of you know this this 
housewife and this henpecked husband. It's brilliantly claustrophobic in kitchen sink. It's fantastic. And I love mm. that about Amicus. I in so I love hammer films, but I love the kind of tawdriness um of, of, <laughs> of the Amicus films. Um so I, I I'm always kind of attracted to that. And it is it is although though you you've got like blue collar sort of horror films in america like you know your romero's martin and and dawn of the dead and stuff like that um yeah i think british british horror is very different you know because mm. it, it very often combines the idea of the the fantastical with the more mundane as i've said before you know it's it's the acid tab dropped into the builder's tea it's that mm. kind of horror yeah but, yeah yeah I guess there is that tradition as well. If you, uh, if you think about sort of Pete Walker's films yeah. from the seventies, there's, you know, that, that kind of, I guess that's more of a sort of like a suburban horror, you know, there's the horror of the kind of sub suburban areas. But it's that but, tackiness and that, 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 you know, that graininess and just the seventies, you know, people were generally not as healthy as they are now in terms of food and diet and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. everybody smoked and yeah. it's the baked beans it's the fucking spilled yeah. cornflakes it's all of that it's just all going into that i love it it's just a brilliant yeah. aesthetic yeah and you know shane meadows does it so very well because he's got the sense of authenticity to it <clears throat> and you, get, you there's also a sense of sympathy i think for everybody you know nobody's really vilified you know everybody has their reasons everyone's kind of like a victim of their environment and that i think um sets shane meadows films and dead man's shoes especially aside to the kind of hoodie horror movies like eden lake you know where it's very much is that sort of chav vilify mm. the sort of chav sort of aspect to it mm. so for me uh that makes it all the more horrific uh, because there are no easy demarcations of monster and normality no easy sort of distinctions made between good and evil and so on it's all very very much blurred together and everybody's kind of kind of affected by it and can't kind of extricate themselves from it People who commit evils in God's eyes are not beyond redemption. Um, okay, so um, John, uh, do you want to tell us where you can buy your book from? You can buy it from Amazon. You can get it on Kindle, hardback, paperback, but Amazon's the place to go. Brilliant um okay yes uh quick plug from me just just make sure yeah i mean if you want to check out my book um on british working class cinema <clears throat> which has a whole chapter on shane meadows um it's called welcome to the cheap seats silver screen portrayals of the british working class and it's published by five leaves and you can buy it anywhere you buy your books from um so yeah uh, and also as well in terms of podcast 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 tea for terror please like subscribe all that jazz writer's review blah 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 uh it just remains for me to say thank you to my guest john Talson. thanks for coming on mate it's been really good chat. it's been brilliant and everybody out there go and buy 
Welcome to the Cheap Seats. It's a fantastic book. And I'd mm. say if you can, if you're in Nottingham, go and buy it from the Four Leaves Bookshop because that's a one. Five Leaves. Five Leaves yeah, Bookshop. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I've, not been, I, <laughs> I've not been to Nottingham for a while. From the Five Leaves Bookshop. It's a, a really wonderful bookshop. Yeah. So remember to call round next time. Make yourself at home. You look like you're dying for a nice cup of tea for terror. And remember, my friend, future events such as these will affect you in the future.